Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I hope whatever circumstance you find yourself in, you are experiencing God's presence with you. Jesus said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. These are wonderful promises for us to hold on to, aren't they? Well, as Michael said earlier, we're coming to the end today of this series on 2 Timothy, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And if you followed the series so far, what do you think God has said to you most clearly uh, over the last few weeks? Is it maybe fan into flame the gift, the spiritual gift that God has given to you? that maybe has become a bit dormant and cool? Is it be unashamed of the gospel and unafraid to tell people about Jesus? Is it give the Bible greater prominence and priority in your life because all scripture is inspired by God, breathed by him? Is it maybe be clear about what truth is in a world that says the only truth that really counts is the truth of what seems true to me? Or is it from what Phil was sharing last week? Be strong, be fortified in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, as we've uh, seen, this is the last letter that Paul wrote, certainly the last letter we have of his before he faced death. And it's to a younger leader called Timothy, and he's hoping to pass on a baton to him, hoping and trusting that he will not drop it, but he'll grip it tight and he'll run around his track on his lap until he has to turn it, hand it on in turn to the next generation. And although this is a really personal letter, it's not a private one. You see, Paul is very consciously writing not just to an individual, but to the whole church in every era. He's writing this to us as well. And we know this because in the very last verse of the letter in chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says, the Lord be with your spirit. And in the original language in the Greek there, the word you is singular. The Lord be with your spirit, Timothy. But then he says, grace be with you. And there in the Greek, the word you is plural. So the NIV translated grace be with you all. This is God's voice speaking to all of us today. We're going to read uh, today from chapter 4. I'm just going to read first of all the first five verses of that chapter, and it says this In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers 
to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Father, we thank you so much for your word. As we've been singing this morning, how faithful you are, how good you are. We want to just focus on you and turn our eyes towards you and thank you, Lord, that you speak to us in these days. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't left us to work it all out amongst ourselves. You've given us an authoritative and true record of your voice to us. And we pray now that by the Holy Spirit, you will come amongst us and be our teacher. You'll lead us into all truth. Bless us, Lord. May, you, may we hear the voice of the living God today through these words. Amen. Well, Timothy, uh, we've been seeing, has very many good qualities. He takes a genuine interest in others. He has a really caring heart. Uh, Timothy will not let you down. Uh, Paul says elsewhere, he's such a reliable man. He'll tell you, I'll be there at two o'clock. And at two o'clock, there he is waiting for you without fail. Uh, Paul says elsewhere, as he talks about all his apostolic team, he says, yeah, but I've got no one else like Timothy. There's no one like him. He's special. But despite his strengths, he does not have a strong personality at all. Uh, Timothy seems to need a lot of encouragement and also protection. Paul has to tell the Corinthians, he says, I'm sending Timothy to you, but when he comes, see that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. He's young, he's inexperienced, he's frequently ill. He's uh, very sensitive, uh, maybe a bit of an introvert sort of personality. And it's worth pointing this out, I think, because sometimes we imagine that God only really calls dynamic characters, you know, self-confident people, extroverts with really heroic personalities. But that is not the way in the Bible at all. Uh, I've been reading through Exodus this week and struck me again when God says to Moses, I'm sending you, Moses. Moses says, but, but I'm no leader at all. I'm, I'm useless up front. I'm, I get my words muddled up. I, I stutter when I speak. Maybe you could send someone else, Lord. And then in the book of Judges, God says to Gideon, I'm calling you. You're my man. And Gideon says, but I'm nobody. My dad's a nobody. I come from a really insignificant family and I'm the least impressive of all of them. God says, I'm calling you. And then in Jeremiah, God calls Jeremiah, he says to him, I'm appointing you. And Jeremiah says, but I'm obviously much too young for this. Lord, I've got no experience at all. I'm, no one's going to take me seriously. But each time, God does not take no for an answer. He appoints and then he empowers. So don't ever say to yourself, well, I'm just not the sort of person that God would want to use. It's not true. We need to understand that if God calls me, it's because of his grace 
and not because of my giftedness. And he will supply everything I need to do what he calls me to do and to prevail in it. That is what the Bible teaches. Well, I've got two points coming out of today's reading and it's just eight verses really. Two verse, two points. Here they are. Number one, preach the word. And number two, finish the race. So verse two says, preach the word. Preach the word. It's not a word. It's not any old words. The word. Preach God's eternal inspired, indestructible, omnipotent, forever dependable, unimprovable, heart-transforming, life-changing, life-imparting word. You might say, well, I'm not a preacher. Uh, This doesn't really apply to me, this part of God's word. And it's fair enough, you may not be a preacher. Not everybody is called to preach and teach. But these verses tell you what kind of qualities you should want to see in a preacher and what kind of leader you should want to follow. The, uh, the great 20th century preacher, W.E. Sangster, once interviewed a candidate for the Methodist ministry. And uh, this was a very shy and retiring young man who evidently didn't have a lot of confidence. He said, he said, oh, I'm not the sort of man who'd set the Thames on fire. And uh, Sangster looked at him and he said, my dear young man, I'm not interested to know if you can set the Thames on fire. What I want to know is this, if I throw you into the Thames, is it going to sizzle? And uh, some sermons I've heard in my time, you could throw the preacher into the Thames or any river you like, and they're so cold, they're so frigid, they'd actually lower the average temperature of the river once you put them in it. I thank God for leaders here at King's who love God's word, who feel the weight of this solemn charge to Timothy to preach it, to preach all of it, who believe this, passionately, who take seriously the thought that God is going to judge with greater strictness those who are called to preach and teach. And so they work diligently and prayerfully at this ministry and they labor in the word. But I think we need to recognize that the value of God's word and preaching it is contested in our time. And I can see three different sorts of people who are uncomfortable with this charge from God's word to preach the word, the scriptures. And uh, the first is probably the most common in evangelical or charismatic circles, the kind of circles we're in here at King's. Uh, It's quite subtle. And uh, there can be a kind of casual replacing of God's word for whatever the latest fashion might be. A few years ago, I was at a, I'm not going to name it, but it was a well-known Christian summer conference. And a well-known speaker got to the stage and he said, said, I'm not going to open my Bible tonight. I'm just going to share my heart instead. And honestly, my heart sank. I thought, seriously? I thought, I've come a long way to this conference for uh, for this thing. 
to be honest, I don't really want to hear your heart while I look longingly at your closed Bible on your chair behind you. I wanted to say, to stand up and say, you open your Bible or you close your mouth, pal. But obviously, being English, I didn't stand up and make a scene. In front of thousands of people, I just sat there, seething and annoyed and bored for about an hour. I want to say that God's people do not gather in their thousands and endure a week of camping purgatory just for human wisdom or precious thoughts or personal anecdotes. We want to hear God's word and what God has to say into our lives. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. We want every word that comes from the mouth of God. Paul says to Timothy, you preach that. And the second sort of person that doesn't like this charge to preach the word is found in more, um, more liberal church circles where there is a, I call it a selective approach to the total truthfulness of scripture. Uh, Brian Chappell is uh, a professor at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri in USA. And he was once challenged by a student who complained to him that the Bible is outdated and full of errors. So Brian Chappell took a pair of scissors from his drawer. And he said to this student, he said, here, take these and you can cut out of your Bible everything that you don't think should be in it. But you should understand that by the time you've finished picking and choosing what should be included and what should be left out, the only wisdom you will have left is your own. As we saw a few weeks ago when Michael spoke to us, all scripture, all of it is God-breathed. And the third attitude against preaching God's word, I would say pervades all of society here in the West. I'd say the dominant mood in our postmodern world is to reject clear authoritative beliefs about anything at all. Many people are skeptical when we say we can be sure about truth. They prefer a much much more uh, flexible world where you can't be certain about anything and each person has to find the way for themselves. But the Christian worldview is God has spoken and his word is true. So preach the word. And then verse 2 says this, be prepared in season and out of season. In season and out of season means when it's convenient and when it's really not. Uh, In promising situations and really unfavorable ones, when people are responsive and when they seem totally closed, always be ready to share the word. Always be ready. The former Olympic decathlete, Daley Thompson, remember him? Amazing athlete. He was once asked 
what his favourite day was in the year. And he said, without hesitation, Christmas Day. And the interviewer said, ah, I understand. That's the one day in the year when you can relax a little bit, have some mince pies, maybe a glass of wine, and uh, loosen the belt a bit, eh? He said, no, that's not why I like Christmas Day at all. He said, on December the 25th, every year, I train harder than any other day of the year while all my rivals are taking a day off. He said, it gives me a competitive advantage. That's why it's my favorite day. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, it says, rebuke, encourage. Well, of course, we'd all rather be encouraged than corrected and rebuked, wouldn't we? But remember, all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We need to recognize and take on board the fact that the the natural state of every human heart is to be in rebellion against God. And so it's understandable that this book, which tells me what God loves and what God doesn't love, will sometimes offend me because my heart is naturally rebellious against him. Preachers have to say it as it is. Um, A woman once went up to the great evangelist George Whitefield and uh, she complained to him. She said, every time I've heard you preach, all you ever say is, ye must be born again. Ye must be born again. Ye must be born again. Don't you ever say anything else? And Whitefield looked at this woman. He said, "Um, the reason why I say this, madam, is because ye must be born again. And it says this, verses three and four. A time is coming when preaching is going to be unpopular. And we're in these days now, actually. It says people are going to close their ears to sound teaching. They're going to call for a message that merely recycles the norms and values of the prevailing culture. And every preacher I know battles at times with the temptation to skate over uncomfortable truths in God's word, especially when the body language of the congregation is disapproving and negative. Jesus was once approached by his disciples and they said to him, do you know, people were offended by what you just said. And Jesus said, Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted is going to be pulled up by the roots. In other words, mere religious tradition and pious wisdom that's not in line with God's word is just going to come to nothing. That's not going to cut it. Preach the word. Well, as I said earlier, you may not be being called to be a Bible teacher, but you are called to be discerning about who you let shape your thinking and your values. Either you stand up for what you believe or you become part of what somebody else believes. My second and last point 
and more briefly, you'll be relieved to hear, is uh, finish the race. Verse 6. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure, that means his death, is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. A well-attested tradition records that Paul was beheaded around AD 64, shortly after this letter, about three miles outside the city limits of Rome. I love to picture the scene in heaven a few moments afterwards. Paul's just arriving in heaven in God's presence. He's high-fiving maybe a few old friends who he hasn't seen for a while. And then the crowds part and there is Jesus standing there in, in all his triumphant glory. And he says, Paul, hey, you made it. You fought the good fight. You kept the faith. You finished the race. Here is your crown now. And it's what he's going to say to you one day if you keep battling, if you stay in the race, and if you cross the finish line. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep going. Keep the faith. In the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico City, at the 19-kilometer point of the marathon, one of the runners, a man named John Aquari, dramatically fell to the ground. He dislocated his knee and his shoulder. And the heat and the lack of air at altitude was so brutal that 18 runners in the field failed to finish at all. But John Aquari kept on running for 23 more kilometers. In searing pain, he was cramped up because he'd never trained at altitude. He finished last of those who actually completed the course over an hour after the winner, even after the medal ceremony had taken place. In fact, after the sun had set and the stadium was all but empty when he finally entered it. But as he crossed the finish line, there was an emotional and appreciative cheer from the small crowd that was still there. And they interviewed him afterwards and they said, John Aquari, why did you bother to keep running when it was obvious you could not get a medal? He said, my country, Tanzania, did not send me 5,000 miles to start this race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And that is your mission, and that's my mission, to finish the race. Some people, me included, wish they had a more exciting testimony of how they came to faith. But it doesn't matter how you started the race of faith as much as it matters that you keep running until it's done. That's what matters to God. Keep the faith. Are you still running the race? Do you feel like you're flagging? Are you going to finish it and win the crown or will you drop out 
and lose it all. Well, if you're a Christian, you look at life and you look at death differently. There's a church leader in Bournemouth called Tim Matthews and his granddad, a man called Albert, uh, fought in the D-Day landings in World War II. He got one of his fingers shot off and he saw some terrible things in that combat, but he did survive to tell the tale. And he used to tell his grandson all sorts of stories about the war, including one about arriving in this French village in Normandy. And he was driving his truck as part of a convoy uh, to resupply the front lines with ammunition and food and all that. And they were told that before they got to this village, it had most probably been mined by the retreating German army, hadn't yet been cleared. Uh, And there was no viable alternative route, so the convoy had to travel through this this village, had to just take its chances, really. So the commanding officer, he approached uh, Tim's granddad in the cab and said, Albert, you're a Christian, aren't you? See, Albert had been sharing his faith with his comrades all the way through the war thus far. So he said, yeah, I'm a Christian. So the commanding officer said, well, since you know where you're going when you die, you can drive an empty truck through the village and the rest of the convoy will follow your tire tracks. And if you get blown up, we'll all know we'll have to take up a different route. So Albert, he said a prayer and he set off utterly at peace. And he drove straight through the village without incident. And what if you've not yet become a follower of Jesus Christ? Maybe you've been thinking about this for ages and ages. Why don't you give your heart to Jesus Christ today? You might say to me, but I'm quite happy in life as I am. I've actually got everything I want. Why would I need Jesus in my life? Everything is just fine. But that's talking as if our life on this earth goes on forever. The chances are that we'll live a little bit longer than our parents did, but none of us keep the sand in the egg timer running indefinitely. Last time I checked, the death rate was exactly the same as it's always been, 100%. And then we get to see that nothing we ever owned was ever really ours. Everything we have now, we just have on loan. And it all has to be returned when we leave this world for the next one. Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? And you may have shut God out of your life for years. Is this the day But that changes? Bible says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you've you've drifted far away from God. Come back to Christ today. Do it today. He's waiting. And if you've heard this today, it means it's not too late. As I end, I want to share a story that... um, 
uh, I heard on the radio a few years ago, maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and it was the <coughs> evangelist Billy Graham. He was being interviewed one Sunday morning on BBC Radio. And the presenter said, Billy Graham, amazing life you've led. You've traveled the globe. You've preached to millions. You've seen countless conversions to Christ. You've appeared on Gallup's most admired people in the world for 32 consecutive years. That's more than any other person in the world. You've spoken personally with world statesmen. You've led prayers at the inauguration of several American presidents. Billy Graham, when you finally get to those pearly gates, what do you think will be your greatest achievement? And he didn't miss a beat without a moment of hesitation. He said, just to have got there, just to have made it. That will be my greatest achievement. Well, Billy died three years ago, last Sunday, actually, 21st of February, three years ago. He was still running. He was still going. He completed the course and is now with the Lord. Those who persevere to the end, Jesus said, will be saved. Finish the race. Keep the faith. 